Are you a member of the DSO Connect community? Join us. We are a free group on Facebook for dance studio owners to connect, share ideas, inspire one another, and provide support. We help troubleshoot each other's problems and celebrate each other's successes. We have two Zoom calls every month, Coffee Chat Fridays and Wind Down Wednesdays, where we get to hang out together with fellow DSOs who really truly get it. And y'all, I can honestly say that this community is the reason why my studio has survived COVID. Without the amazing support and inspired ideas of the incredible members of this group, I'm not sure I would have made it. So if you're looking for support, connection, and judgment-free advice, join us today. Just search for DSO Connect Community on Facebook and answer the questions to join. We can't wait to meet you. Welcome to the DSO Connect Podcast. I'm Casey. I'm Robin. And we have a very special guest today that we're both very excited about. Robin, who are we talking to today? So excited. This person is one of my dearest long-term friends that I have in my life. His name is Jeffrey Gunshall. We went to high school together at Baltimore School for the Arts. Um, when I opened my studio in my 20s, he was one of the first people to come on board and teach for me. He put, he, he's just an amazing personality, um, an amazing educator, a dear friend, and I'm so excited for you guys to meet him. Casey, he was your teacher. Yes, Mr. Jeff. Mr. Jeff was the reason that I went to VCU. Oh, yes. I remember that connection. Yeah, we'll have to talk about that. Yeah, absolutely. So let me, um, so let's introduce Jeffrey. Mr. Jeff, hello. Hi. It's Welcome so... to the podcast. Oh, I've never been on a podcast before. <laughs> I'm excited. You're a podcast virgin? <laughs> yeah, I am. I've listened to a podcast, but I've never been on one. Well, we're very excited to have you. Let me read a little bit about you so our listeners get to know you a little bit. Jeffrey Gunshaw has performed for a variety of dance and theater artists, including MacArthur recipient Liz Lerman and Obie winner Mark Dendy. Jeffrey was born and raised in Baltimore and attended Baltimore School for the Arts with Robin. He earned his BFA from Virginia Commonwealth University in 1991 and received his MFA in 2007 from the University of Utah. He is currently a professor in the theater and dance department at Tulane University, from which he received the Suzanne and Stephen Weiss Fellowship in 2014, which is a prestigious teaching award at Tulane. He works with fellow BSFA alum Nora Gibson in Philadelphia, collaborates with European artists Vincent Calcolano performs with and creates his own work and co creatively collaborates with Amy Hayes. So welcome, Mr. Jeff. It's hard for me to call you Jeffrey. <laughs> you can call me Mr. Jeff. I think it's interesting because the new, the Pennsylvania group of people calls me Mr. Jeffrey. Mm. But I mean. The Baltimore I, crew I, the, calls the you Baltimore Mr. Jeff. Everybody's Mr. Jeff. Uh, <laughs> that's right. That's true and correct. I feel like I have a story about that that might be only for adult listeners. But. Okay, we'll put that on like the late night version of the podcast. <laughs> well, we're excited to have you because a topic of conversation has come up recently, both in on the podcast and in the DSO Connect group, um, just talking about how to, how studio owners can more appropriately prepare our students for college dance programs. And so we were like, man, we got to get some college professors and college dance people on the podcast. And Robin was like, um, hello, how about Jeff 
free. So we knew we had to have you on. Um, so tell us a little bit about Tulane's dance program um, and what kind of program it is and what your goals are for your students once they graduate from your program. Okay, so uh, Tulane is a an esteemed university. I feel like the last time I checked, it was considered 39th in the country or something. So it's in that like pool of universities like we're only accepting 10% of people now. So it's in this competitive thing. And even in terms of where we are now, because universities have been struggling, um, right? They, Tulane has, it isn't like Princeton or Yale, but it has enough money that it's been able to throw a lot of money at uh, what's been happening. So like the students, they've been bumped down, but like the beginning of the semester, they were tested three times a week for COVID. I was tested twice a month. And then an entire wing of the Hilton was there for Tulane students that would like test positive or trace to somebody who had it. So my point with that is it is a, it's a, it's a university that people know about and it has a lot of money behind it. So, um, and right. So it's most of the kids have gone to prep schools. I kind of talk about it in terms of it's the safety school for really, really elite schools. But then there's tons of kids that that's what their goal is to go to Tulane. Um, so, I mean, it is a really good university. I don't mean to say that. I just like, you know, when you've got kids, you're like, oh, I decided to go here because I got a merit scholarship, but they got into MIT and Harvard and stuff, but then they're going to Tulane. It's that kind of thing. So given that, um, they're all double and triple majors or they're a double major with a minor. Um, there's a program, a lot, not a lot, but I would say 20 or 30% sometimes of our majors are uh, creative scholars, which means they're doing pre-med. And they, which I think this is, a, this is one of my, I love this program, because the idea is that uh, doctors in the medical field are disconnected from the humanity and the person. And so they, they're supposed to have, they have to have their second major in the liberal arts, somewhere in the arts. And then they, um, in their junior year, they take a test. And if they pass it, basically they're accepted to Tulane Medical School, like in their junior year. So they're almost their entire senior year, they're, they're doing, they're finishing all of whatever their arts major is. So um, that is like, so fascinating. It is. But I, I love just, that. So I think that that the reason I say this is like, we're not a conservatory. Okay. And we, we do occasionally have we do have people that then do a BFA, but like this year we have two, but it's been six years since we've had a BFA. So it's usually a BA. We also walked our credits down because if they're doing two and three majors and they want the tapas experience, then it's like, that's what it is. And then they also want to be in sororities. And let's face it, it's New Orleans and there's the bar right next to campus. I mean, it just, you kind of have to weigh all of that stuff out. Um, what I love about what you're saying is um, that there's a real emphasis on the academia and yet there's um, there's a large population of those kids who are also in the arts. So it's not just kids who are trying to aspire to go on to dance professionally beyond. They just want to enrich their um 
their non-arts career with an arts education. I don't know if those were the right words. <laughs> but the, the, there's some of that. And there are people that do wind up in, because it's a theater and dance department, and I actually teach as much theater as I do dance at this point. So yeah, that's kind of the department, and there are people that do wind up seriously pursuing it, or they pursue it for a while, um, or, you know, and then they decide they're going to be a lawyer. I mean, Jake. So do you receive a lot of students that have grown up in dance studios? Or we do. And it is a thing we talk about. So it's like we see it, I think, it's a, there are so many things I could talk about with this. I'm going to say, I think my larger, I can't talk for anything, but I think for in general, in terms of the dance department, acknowledging that I really want to make people better thinkers and better art. Like, like if, if the creative scholars, if I use that as a thing, if I'm affecting them and making them understand how art and art making and like thinking about that in terms of seeing the world around you and processing that and bringing that into your body and embodying who you are, that's going to translate to no matter what they do, whether they're a lawyer, a doctor, a singer, uh, you know, working at a bank, working. I mean, and I think you probably have already shown on both of your websites the thing about that people are saying dancers are the best people to hire because because of all of these reasons. Mm -hmm. So um but I just really think about like, how can I make them better citizens and better? I mean, that's a lofty goal. I also have other goals, but I think there's something about our department that we're, I want to produce dancers, but I think that we understand that that's what it is mm -hmm. and that I can affect like me, like our department helping these people is important because in general, it's going to make that should stem out in a larger thing and, and, and help them their entire life. So yeah. I think that is a larger goal in terms of dance. Yes. When we see, we see so many people like that person's from a studio, like right that, and it, but right. There's different kinds of studios. And right. So let's talk about that. So you're at the audition and you're receiving kids and I'm sure some of them have not danced at all. Some of them have danced at recreational studios, some competition studios, some, you know, at conservatory type studios. What is, which, which one of those students is going to mesh most seamlessly into your program? And what are the challenges that you need to break down once you accept these kids if they come from each of these different environments? Um, well, right. The, I think the competition studio, um, trick, like the, it feels like the cleanliness of technique is often kind of thrown out for like the razzle dazzle, right? Like, so there's a, for me, cause you know me, I love a performer. So I'm going to be looking at that or seeing what's beyond that. But in terms of like, because there's also different kinds of competition studios. Like I think there's some really great technique that's going on and technique again is a means to an end, but you see it. So that is something that you see. You're like, Oh, that's not really a tondu. Like you can just see it at the bar or that's not, or you're not grounded. You're just, it's like, and I think that that in turn, and well, I'm sure we'll get to this, but right. They're going to be taking, they're going to be improvising. They're going to be, um, doing choreographic stuff, all of that stuff, that stuff tracks, right? Because then if all they're thinking about is when is the trick, it's like, well, why is the trick is what I would like to ask mm -hmm. people. 
So I'm not saying don't do turns in second. It's like, but why do the turns in second happen? Like why, how, what is the journey choreographically and what are you thinking about as opposed to, does it, you know what I mean? Yes. So I feel like those things track so you see it. Um, but then also if you've got them for a couple of years, they can have great aha moments where mm -hmm. all of a sudden they start looking and seeing work differently. Right. Like, so, um, then, uh, the rec center, I mean, I think it really just comes down to cleanliness and clarity and openness. So, I mean, it's something I've always, you've had a vision, Robin, right? We're, because right, we're not a, we're, I'm not teaching at a conservatory, but I think these different kind of programs, and VCU is not technically a conservatory, but it is actually more like a conservatory program. Right, but I'm not. And I think even in the past, even since I graduated from BCU, it's trending more, more conservatory-ish. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That's my understanding. But right, mm -hmm. like, I mean, it was, at one point, like five or six years after I graduated, like now this is in terms of contemporary modern choreographers, but BCU graduates were on like the top 10 list of schools that choreographers wanted to work with. Right. right? Like, so in that, in that vein, right, which is where my training mm -hmm. ultimately is. Um, <clears throat> so when um, you have students that audition for Tulane and they are coming from more of a ballet studio, um, do you, do what, how do you react to them coming in? What are, what are your, your challenges with them? Are you, are you struggling to get them to do the performance quality or the, the emotion? I, I mean, you, I, or it just depends on the kid. I'm, I, I think I, it depends I know on I'm the kid, but I, think, I understand what you're saying. So it's like, right, this has been something to say. I, don't be that person that's going to make the piece about Anne Frank and just do 32 fuetes, because what the hell does that have to do with Anne Frank? So, like, I, I, I'm saying that because I saw a piece while I was here, not by one of our students, but I was like, what is happening? Yeah. Like, what is going on? And I, it, put the 32 foot, like, it should have a reason for me, at least. Yeah, I always tell my students when they're choreographing, I was like, don't insert trick here. I don't want to see you do some sort of emoting and, you know, gestural movement. And then all of a sudden, tombe, pas de bourre, glissade, grand jeté. Like, how does that make any sense? And, and I think that um, teaching our students to improvise and getting them comfortable in um, in the improvisation as a skill is helpful because then they can kind of um, explore a different dance vocabulary other than the the codified steps that we teach them in a ballet class because we don't yeah, want them completely. to we don't want them to constantly be relying on oh well if I'm creating my own dance I have to look in my glossary of dance terms and you know string together all of these these steps that I was taught in exercises in class. No, you can be just walking or, you know, this hand gesture on your face could be part of your your movement. And they don't find that unless they're um, regularly improvising. I mean, I would say also uh, being exposed to different kinds of work which I know something that's always been in your mission statement, Robin, or is it, so how, 
it's seeing different kinds of work and hearing, I mean, and by that I mean seeing, but different voices, like, right? Like, so to me, the thing is, I like to press the edges of that. I mean, even in, in terms of art and entertainment, I mean, I think they flow together, but right, I like to press the edges so that people, the middle becomes more interesting. Hmm. Because uh, trying, like, really, I would like us to reach beyond mediocre, right? Like, it's like, oh, that was really great, or it's fine. Well, okay. I mean, this is just my thought process. In terms of the ballet people, like, this, our program, one of the original people, she's a beautiful, very clean, precise ballet teacher, like, really no affect at all. And so her thing, like, she loves those kids, and they, they, the, the, just the history of the department there's often we call them they we don't have as many as we used to but the ballet girls because sometimes then they don't take anything else all they do is take ballet at 11 o'clock tuesday and thursday or monday and wednesday the four years they're here and then occasionally they'll you know uh, elise will want to make something that they'll perform in one of our concerts so that they can do ballet like right we're but i i think that's shifting a little bit in terms of where our department's headed. Um, but it's always great. Like if they've got, you've got really good solid technique. It's more about the thing we were talking about. Well, how do you, how do they see how that technique is a means to an end mm -hmm. and think about and process movement differently. And in, in theory, that's what we're here for. It's whether those people are willing to step into that or or buy into that at all into the idea of seeing and exploring what dance can be mm -hmm. for them for other people um so i right but it's having somebody coming with really great ballet of course we notice it right away you're like oh wow that person because then it means that they've got so many tools mm -hmm. getting them to understand a different way of moving or thinking about movement concepts as opposed to steps mm -hmm is challenging but if they do it that's another moment where they're going to have an aha moment and their ballet technique will get better from doing that so to summarize you're saying we want to have a solid foundation a technically correct um solid foundation um also experience with improvisation a, a um, exposure to a variety of different not only dance styles but also different um, dance voices, I think what, mm -hmm. you, what you said, and kind of a willingness to to grow and have light bulb moments, right? And to um, go outside of what they consider to be, you know, to, to grow basically and yeah. to explore different approaches. We're different though, because we, we they do audition for the major, but they have to be accepted to Tulane. So we're not having auditions where we're like, we're giving you a scholarship. Mm -hmm. So I think that each program is going to be different. Um, I imagine most programs, once you're accepted, that's what they want. Like you realize you're, you're looking for somebody that you can mold and help to grow into an artist, a dancer, right. a person. I think those things are generally true. And I think I, I've also told my students, and I think it's important that they under, because sometimes they don't really understand this. You're auditioning for a school you're not auditioning for a professional company. 
So you are the the audition panel is not looking for to cast you in a role. They are looking for people that they can teach. And um, like you said, um, nurture along a path to further growth, which is very different than an audition for a part in a show because they're not looking to teach you. They're looking to see what you are bringing to the table. Is that correct? I think it's more complicated than that. I mean, I think in general, as like a, a cut and dry, I would say yes. But like if I'm auditioning or I mean, I was in Liz's company, yeah, like Liz Lerman, are you kidding? I mean, she's a genius. I work for a genius. She's in the car. <laughs> um, but right, the audition, A number one, was days long. Mm. She had people come back more than once. So it's like she offered me a job after the first round of three days. But um, the women, like, cause it, the, and she also went, she didn't like any other men that auditioned, like at the time, it wasn't, the, didn't feel like the right fit, but it was like being in college, right? It was a composition, like we were take, doing a lot of improv and a lot of composition and also like learning steps. So it was, mm -hmm. she wanted to know, AKA the dance exchange, if she was going to be able to learn or even have her choreographic voice pressed and helped with us and there are certainly a lot of choreographers that are doing that or like and even some broadway choreographers are doing that where you're enlisting your performers as an asset and a way to help you create a larger picture right but so I that's think even a third ex it, um uh, that's a kind of a third audition so you've got Auditioning for a company is different than auditioning for a college dance program, which is different from auditioning for a specific role in like in yes. a Broadway show or something. And there's probably a bunch of like tiny yeah. little differences all along that, yeah. all along that road. It's a really complicated Venn diagram. Yeah, it is. <laughs> so. so let's talk about specific things that studio owners might want to incorporate into their programs so that their students, whether they want to um, major in dance or even um, like what you're saying, major in pre-med or something, but keep dance and, and attend a college dance program. What can we do as studio owners? What kinds of specific things, experiences can we be giving our students to help them um, to kind of get a head start or a leg up or at least not be blindsided and, and sh in shock when they get to college. Well, I mean, we already talked about some of it. Like, do you, besides just so you think you can dance and that stuff, do you decide like, I mean, you know, I've, you, you didn't really like Pina Bausch, but like, do you purposefully try to expand what they're watching? Mm -hmm. Like, right. Do you try to do that and maybe ask questions around it, whether you like it or not? Um, yeah, so let's talk in terms of like actual, like maybe because our, I feel like our, our listeners like ideas that they can put into action. Like, I'm sure there's somebody sitting here with a notebook right now, like, okay, what can I do? So I'm thinking about, okay, maybe you have a movie night at the studio, like, or at your house or at one of the dancers houses or whatever and eat, maybe it's one Friday a month or something and you're going to show a video and maybe it's Pina and maybe it's um, something completely different like West Side Story and then yeah. maybe it's something completely different like um, you know 
New York City Ballet or something. And then we discuss all of these so that we're not only teaching them about one particular style, right? So I think that, yes, that is actionable. And what we've done versions of that. Mm -hmm. um, I think that that's important just because it's, Right, what's right for one person? And I understand it's a studio, so you want them to be entertained and engaged, and you want that to happen. I, you know, I. But could there be something? It's the body mind connection, right? So I don't know if you remember Robin, but I remember seeing it in high school where there were like Kim, who was a brilliant technician and ballet dancer, but also really great academically. I don't think that her mind and her, the, those things felt segregated as opposed to integrated. Mm. So um, it's something, and I know like you're saying process, I feel like something I was always trying to do, A, for myself, was like, I wanna make this piece and I'm gonna work with these young people because I don't think that all of a sudden you turn 20 and you're smart, right? <laughs> like it just, it, you know, you know. It's, no. <laughs> no. And it's like, okay, well, they're 12 years old. Basically, they probably just read the diary of Anne Frank. So that they're thinking about large, like that that stuff shouldn't be in a vacuum. Mm -hmm. So the things that they're feeling and the way that they're, how do we integrate that into who they are as human beings in their body? And how can that, that kind of education and understanding through a process create something for knowledge, like for themselves. That whether, just like Casey said right before we started um, pushing record, like, oh my God, we did this whole site specific thing and I made a whole dance in the bathroom. Okay, well, it's fun, but it's also, right, you went through this whole thing, you're like, and then we were animals and then we were doing this, like just even hearing her talk about it, it stuck with her mm -hmm. and it meant something. And in that, they, you guys were really young. So I was like, it was, I think that, that age range, I think the youngest might've been eight or something. Right. And yeah, then, there like, were some there were some real itty bitties in that summer camp. And like Jesse Carey Beaver, that was yeah, like, that was that uh, I saw him have his like nine year old self aha moment where like, oh, I'm a little pudgy, but I'm going to like get in there and I am going to completely commit like right. You're you can see it happened, right? Like it's like, oh, wait, there isn't only one way I can do something. Now, of course, this isn't going to work for every single solitary person. Um, and one of the things I did want to bring up, whether you like it or not, I think there's going to be a lot of questions around what, why, and how we teach right now um, in terms of what is valid movement, right? Like, so basically now, and I'm sure people have seen the things on the discussion boards around BLM and this idea of um, diversifying the canon, like changing the canon. So everything in terms of ballet and contemporary modern, if that's what the thing is based on, is really very Eurocentric. So I think a lot of departments are looking at how they honor movement and where movement comes from in a variety of ways. I do not think everybody has it figured out yet, but I do think that's a huge question that's um, coming up in higher education. Uh, but I mean, like Robin, you've always had hip hop. You've always had that, like, there's something, I think that that's really great that, you know, like that that's a base. Cause also so much of the way that we move is influenced by all of those things. 
I, I don't really have an answer about that. I think it's important to bring up because I think things are shifting. You know what it's not right for me to do? To all of a sudden start teaching African dance. That's right. Doesn't, that seems I'm like, that is not my story to tell. I, I can't be doing that. So it's that's a conversation that I've been having at my studio as well as like, you know, we we prioritize ballet and modern as as technical forms because we've been taught that Western and Eurocentric dance is the higher, more valued form um, versus African based forms, you know, have kind of been gotten the the shit end of the stick in a in a studio and specifically in an academic setting to where like tap was an elective hip hop was not even offered at my college at all jazz was an elective um and so at my studio like my accelerated dancers who are like my more seriously trained students they are required to take ballet and modern and then tap is an elective and jazz is an elective. And then hip hop right now is not even offered in my accelerated program. It's only in my recreational program. So in my studio, we are having this conversation about like, how do we, like you said, Jeff, how do we honor those, those other forms and lift them up and value them equally alongside the Eurocentric dance forms. And so we're having this conversation about like, well, maybe hip hop needs to be a requirement for our accelerated dancers. Maybe we need to bring in a weekly African teacher so that they can understand the history of where tap comes from, where jazz comes from. So the way that we've started to kind of have that conversation in the classroom is with historical context. So we show, we show videos in all of our classes. We talk about the historical context in all of our classes. And we've been taking this, um, this online course, all of my staff has been taking this online course about how to talk about racial context in a dance class setting. That's been really interesting and opening up a lot of conversations. And I'm just gonna say, just even thinking about it, I, I mean, because you know, my whole thing, I love teaching comp. I love it. Like, and I love mentoring choreographic, like choreographic people directing. I love that. That is like my real, it's a thing I think I'm probably best at at this point. But I mean, I, I'm, I'm struggling because I'm like, okay, well, how much of my lens am I bringing in? Like, I, like how do I open my mind to what the movement can be? like what in the ways in which people can choreographically create movement and how do I honor what I'm seeing? Um, and let, let's also face it, probably if you're a like badass hip hop dancer, you're probably gonna make more money than if you go into a contemporary modern company. I mean, right, I think the other thing is- it's, Yeah, this is true. <laughs> I mean, like that is a probably much more viable kind of, especially if the person has some chops a viable economic thing to do than pursuing something that, you know, so much of what I'm doing is surviving in the university system. I'm just trying to be honest. But also I know it's the stuff that I've seen that has changed my life. Like when it's done well, it completely changes you, I think. I think it really, because dance can do this thing where it's hitting the emotional um, subversive understanding of something like in your body in a way that you might not even be able to articulate. Like when it really does it well, it's so powerful. Um, so yeah, I, I just find it a very complicated question. And 
what I think we're training people. So this is maybe what I would say to the studios. And I guess you don't want to hurt somebody's body in terms of technique, mm-hmm. but um, are we training people for like what amount, like when you talk about, I, you might want to be in a dance company. Well, being in a dance company that is going to actually pay you enough to completely live unless like you're married to somebody with money. Right. Like we're, I, I, and I've talked to you about this in terms of school for the arts. I, and I think it's shifting, but it's like, well, you're training people for what is like 2% of the dance community. And like, that's why I talked about what Liz did. So many people are using these like much larger creative processes that yours is just to do or die thing. Yours is like, yours is not to reason why yours is just to do or die. I feel that that is shifting mm-hmm. and it has been shifting. And it, yeah. it seems like a lot of people's focus is that or, and to me that goes along with like, yours is not to reason why you better do those tricks. It doesn't matter if you're doing them technically correct. You better do those tricks, which is what I think, I think that is dangerous for their bo- bodies, minds, and souls. And it's also not helping them expand the way they think, which is important to me. Right. It's, there's no critical thinking behind that. No. Yeah. To me, like art, the whole purpose of art is to teach critical thinking. Yes. And then right. on the other side, I also think entertainment is super important. So I, like, it doesn't mean that everything should just be that. I think it's like, okay, we've got this like jazz person. It's going to be fun, honey. They're going to be doing their aerials. They're going to be doing their stuff. They're going to turn it out. Everybody's going to love it. But how can you have a range of things if you're a studio Mm -hmm. owner that teaches them like really the many, like, or at least a kind of topest idea of what they can possibly expect so they can decide where they want to go. Right. And also when our, our customers, our students are young people and they, a, a six-year-old doesn't know if they like, you know, contemporary dance or not, or tap or jazz or, you know, African, whatever the style is until they try it. And so I've always felt like um, it's our responsibility to give them a sampling of as many things as possible and let them, you know, kind of find their own way, but still have a well-balanced diet. Like you can love mac and cheese and it's your favorite, but you, you're not, you, you, you still need to have vegetables and fruit and protein and all of those other things. You can still just love the mac and cheese night, but you still have to have all of these other things in your diet. Otherwise, you know, you're not going to get all your nutrients. Um, Plus like dances, like all of the techniques and different things, they're separate but everything is blurring together now anyway. It isn't like hip hop has not affected contemporary modern dance, right? It isn't like, it, like th- that's just not, that's just not hashtag truth. It isn't. Contemporary modern dance is appropriating from like stuff all of the time. Like yeah. Capoeira, like when I was at VCU, it was like all of a sudden everybody was doing some version of Capoeira. Yes, that like that low yeah, step ball that change, that balancing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that like martial arts that's disguised as a dance. Or like yes. don't don't talk you I mean, Robin, I know you know how much I could do in a keto roll. I would throw in an Aikido roll. <laughs> I thought I was a policeman <laughs> rolling in the door. So it's like it's just, we're always kind of pulling from these different 
So do you see that as a trend moving forward in dance in general, is that there's just going to be more of a blending and less of a separation? Like this is ballet class, this is modern class. Are you going to see, um, Holly kind of brought up, well, like she calls her classes technique. She has a class called technique class. And I'm wondering if she, I mean, I'd love to hear what exactly is in that class. Are you seeing more of a blending? Of I mean, things I, think less going, I think that's been going on since we were in school, actually. And I just think it's going to be more and more. And of course there's going to be, is, but even if I can th look, some ballet classes are really traditional, but I've gone to other ballet classes where they're clearly already starting to blend in. Like look at contemporary ballet. It isn't like you're still calling it ballet, but it's. So how does that work when you're not supposed to be culturally appropriating things? And, and now you're saying that it's been a trend and it's an accepted trend that now everybody's gonna be borrowing from each other. Because if, you're t if your modern style is going to incorporate some sort of an African vibe, but you're not supposed to culturally appropriate that, can you help clarify that for me? Well, I think, I think there's a difference between like incorporating African, like African, dance movements into your modern class that's different from like creating an african piece where you're a white choreographer who's never studied african dance or maybe took it like once or twice in college and it's been 20 years and you put your dancers in like a tribal garb and they're you know yipping and and hollering on the stage like that to me is appropriation and that is inappropriate and and like blatantly offensive but infusing some like African aesthetics into your modern technique while educating your dancers like hey this comes from this specific West African dance step and it's called this and it comes from this culture like having the educate the education in the process is is not is not appropriation does that make sense mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and like teaching teaching a hip-hop class like as a person who has studied hip hop dance and not as a jazz teacher who's basically teaching jazz to hip hop music with a deeper plie. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, I do. I mean, and yeah. I think but that's why I brought this up before. So these questions have been here. I think that these questions, I mean, I think Casey, you're spot on, but I think these questions are gonna come up more and more. And I think they are going to shift at least college departments. I mean, I think that's just going to, nothing's going to happen. Some, you know, human beings tend to like do huge shifts. They tend to overcorrect. I think that it's going, we're going to find that middle ground. I mean, come on, like ballet itself, if you go to France, it's just all like, w w like write a lot of the words that we think of. It's all based in that French thing. But the whole thing was like stolen from Italy. Stolen from Italy, right? Yeah. So, I mean, <laughs> right. Like it isn't, I, I mean, it, it, it happens. Um, I, I just think it's it's tricky, and I think that we are specifically in a very muddled time. Because even when I read some of the stuff that I read, I'm like, okay, this seems like a lot of overcorrecting. Again, I'm not going to teach Vogue, but I was in those spaces in Baltimore. It is like. I've been thinking about this a lot. I'm like, oh, I just never, I, I never thought of it as mine. And then as I'm getting older, I'm realizing like, oh, this stuff has really affected me because I was spending time in those spaces mm -hmm. watching that movement 
doing that, you know, it's just at a club, but like what, what portion of that is mine or do I feel okay talking about? Um, I like, and to me, like, I think what Casey's saying, like talking about the history, like I don't, I never, if I do any kind of even reference, I'm like, this is not my, it's not mine, but this is like, my experience is from this place. So mm -hmm. I don't know. I think it's tricky. And I think those questions aren't going anywhere. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, that's probably a good place to take a quick break. We will be right back with Mr. Jeffrey Gunshaw. The DSO Connect 2021 retreat is right around the corner and registration is now open. We are heading to Cape Coral, Florida, July 23rd through 25th, and we also have a virtual only option. Spend a weekend with other like-minded, creative, goal-oriented studio owners. The weekend includes two days chocked full of amazing seminars by the DSO Connect team, including yours truly, and one day of implementation sessions where we sit down together and get stuff done. So by the time you leave, you've already got things checked off your list. You'll leave feeling rejuvenated and have an actionable plan to build your studio into a thriving business so you can live your best life. This is an intimate weekend where we all stay in the same fabulous waterfront estate together, so space is extremely limited. Included in your stay is all the amazing content, the implementation day, swag bag, seminar workbook, food and drink for the weekend, including adult beverages, your lodging at the estate, and the priceless connections that you'll make with all the other studio owners. Plus, you'll get a one-on-one -on -one follow-up coaching call with one of the DSO Connect team after the retreat to help you stay on track. For more information and to reserve your spot, head on over to dancestudioownerconnect.com and click on the Retreat 2021 tab. Don't wait too long because space is seriously limited and these spots will go fast. So again, dancestudioownerconnect.com and click on the Retreat 2021 tab. We can't wait to spend the weekend with you. All right, we are back with Jeffrey Gunshaw with the DSO Connect podcast. Um, so Robin, you've had Jeffrey at your studio for, for years and ages. I mean, back when I was a student back in Baltimore and now uh, he's like a guest artist, comes to your studio in Pennsylvania. For your students who go off to college dance programs, what's their feedback when they you know come back to visit or whatever? Like, wh how do they feel like they have been prepared and what has, what has Jeffrey's influence been like on them? Yeah, so I think that um, I've heard it numerous times. I've heard, uh, for example, one, one story was, um, and I can't remember who it was. Maybe it was you, Casey. Someone said, hey, I went into um, college, my college dance classes program for the first time, and we were asked to discuss dance, you know, we were maybe watching a piece or, or doing a show and tell scenario, and we needed to discuss the composition. And most of the other freshmen, you know, dance students were kind of at a loss, you know, the, the comments that they had were, oh, it was good, I liked it, it was, it was fine. And the, my student, said that she really felt like she had an upper hand or an advantage or at least felt familiar in the environment of discussing dance and having mm -hmm. something to say about it that wasn't like i liked it it was good made me happy you know the costumes were really pretty yeah 
Yeah. Her leg was so high, you know, like there are things that, you know, you're going to be asked to talk about in college dance classes. And I guess they'll, you'll learn that, but to have a little bit of an, a leg up and, and to be exposed to that ahead of time was one of the many things that Jeffrey, um, that Jeffrey was able to help our students with. Um, do you want to talk about that, Jeffrey? Sure. I mean, we talked about this earlier where it's like, well, maybe you do a movie night like once a month or you take, you know, the class that you have on Friday, which is like a lanyap class. You do lanyap meaning something extra, but you that they watch something. Maybe you don't watch a whole movie. Maybe you watch part of it. Maybe you watch clips, but actually get the students seeing other works, but talking about it and talking mm -hmm. about something specific. So an easy one is what's the moment that stands out that works that you remember? Just even getting someone to articulate that much is a step in the right direction. Yeah. Right. Like, yeah. so it's like, because it's like, does anybody want to hear that about their choreography? Oh, it's good. <laughs> I mean, just, it's like, just, is it really? Yeah. Cause it just, so getting kids to be specific because they, they have to do it all, but they have to read a book and do that. Why can't they watch a dance and do that? Right. right? Another thing that we that we've had a lot of success with in you know helping people to uh, discuss dance is our open Marley night. So, and we started that in Baltimore. I think you were one of the OGs on that project too, Jeffrey. Maybe. Um, but basically the concept is that the students are creating works and they're presenting work in progress to a very kind of casual audience, usually their parents, and there's an, a back and forth discussion so that the, the audience can say, I really enjoyed that piece. Why did you um, choose to face away from the audience during that one moment? And um, I, another, I, as an audience member, really do like to know what the choreographer's intent is. Um, I don't like to try to put my own interpretation on things. I know it's it's like reading a poem. Like sometimes you wanna know, like, well, what does it mean? Or some, some people like to find their own meaning in it. But um, I think that both, both approaches are valid. I just think that in the open Marley night discussions, it, it was really, it's always been very enlightening for the students to have that discussion about what their choreographic intent was and for the audience to kind of understand it. And for the audience also to learn that it's okay to ask questions about it and not just be like, oh, I didn't get it. I must be, I must be dense, you know, or I must not be for me because I don't understand it. It's okay to mm -hmm. ask about it. Yeah, yeah. I think, I think that that question, right, like there's, neutral question so you're not asking with like you again we said this about the tone before it started what what was your intent in facing backwards right if i said that but if you just say what can you talk about your intention in facing backwards what was that decision about it opens up a conversation and maybe if casey's a choreographer she might not know why well i just thought it looked good okay all right well it did look good but she might say like i wanted to distance myself from the audience i wanted them to feel I wanted to give them a, a sense of curiosity and mystery to wonder what I look like or what, but right. if, if I, that question to me is usually the first thing I ask whenever I see something. It isn't because I do create my own thoughts and ideas, mm -hmm. but if you're talking to a choreographer, it, 
if if the person said I faced backwards because I wanted you guys to really see exactly who I was, you might say like actually I d it seemed very distant to me like right so then maybe the person isn't getting their intent and I wanted to bring that out because I think what it isn't like well the audience liked it because I guarantee Robin sees one thing Casey sees another right mm -hmm. but if the whole audience is like actually I just felt really distant like you didn't like me at all or want me to be here that person's gonna know Ooh, i made a bad choice and it doesn't maybe they don't change that piece but it starts to get them to think about the choices they're making in terms of how they use space how they use movement how they design things mm -hmm. to create a larger idea and i think also we can start having these conversations with our students even when they're younger like it isn't they don't have to be teenagers or in high school to have conversations about what the movement feels like or what it evokes in them like in my preschool age classes like uh the past couple of weeks our focus has been on tempo and so we've been dancing to fast moderate and slow tempos and so every every class i ask them well what was your favorite today you know, because it might change tomorrow. What was your favorite to dance to today? Okay, well, why did you like dancing fast? How did it make you feel? And sometimes they get really cool answers like, oh, I felt like a tiger today and I felt fast and strong. And I was like, oh, that's so exciting. Okay, why did you like dancing slow? And they're like, well, because I could, one of my five-year-olds said, I like to think about where I'm moving. <laughs> <laughs> and she's five. I was like, that's so great. I love that your brain is working that way. You know, like, so we can have these conversations with our kids when they're younger. And then it's just part, it's just a natural part of the process. And it's not so strange and foreign to start talking about these things when they're older. I think you're absolutely right. And we've introduced it to younger kids. Like we've introduced Jeffrey's workshops to kids as young as like eight or nine. And in some cases it was like, all right, we've got mostly teens and we've got this one nine-year-old do you think it can work and jeffrey's like throw her in there and she turns out to be bella and she you know she's it, it's it's like she's in her element and she you know but like you sometimes it's a matter of um circumstances like this year or last year and possibly this year we've had to make some adjustments and the one year I'm thinking of in Baltimore is when we we were moving our space in the middle of the summer and we had no home for a couple of weeks and Jeffrey was scheduled to teach a, a, a camp and I was like okay but we have to move out of our other space and we're not ready in the new space so Jeffrey you have to teach camp in Baltimore City <laughs> and I did <laughs> and they called me the Pied Piper of uh, Mount Vernon. Like I had that, like that summer, not not the students, mind no. you. No, people in the neighborhood were calling me because I would do call and response, singing with them, dancing down the street, taking them to a park. Like every morning for yeah. two weeks, they yeah. would be, okay. Well, and then you did that after, like when Stacy owned the studio in, in Hamden, we did that too even when we had space we would you know like marching down the street and doing call and response and you know well, all the so well because we had to do it that we were right. like do it again when we we'll do don't it again yeah yeah and then how like right again i think it gets to that thing like well how do you move through it makes i just think without even knowing it i think students are processing what dance or what movement or what art can be Right by, I mean, of course, I love site specific, but that in a way is already a performance. Yep. 
me, this big, tall, like, man with, like, a horde of tiny yeah. kids behind me, like, some strange sound of music, like, you got caught in a drag queen sound of music or something. Like, <laughs> what? So it, it's, uh, yeah, I, I wanted to say, Casey, because it's one of my favorite things to do. I love, I don't know that you could do this with a five-year, but, the, like, did you like the slow or the fast? I love doing that with music. Like, okay, now you have to match this music with the movement I gave you. Because the thing is, is people tend to be like, I made this phrase and this is exactly how fast it goes. Uh-uh, that is actually not true and correct. I can go ahead and put some like slow Mozart lacrimosa on. And if you're going to make them, like, how do you match the feeling of that or change the tempo or... Right, because I think sometimes it's like, I made this tiny little eight count phrase and that's all it means. It's like, uh, all you have to do is like cha changing the quality and the speed. It's yeah. like a different dance. Or you were talking about standing backwards or watching it backwards. It all of a sudden becomes like a very different sense mm -hmm. of something. I don't know, just me, me. Yeah. I love yeah. that stuff. I just. So site specific work is another thing that studio owners could be exploring. Um, and, you know, just to introduce the idea to your students that dance doesn't always have to be on a stage. You know, it can be in surprising places. And what a better year than, you know, maybe oh, this yeah. or last year to, to explore that because we don't have access to stages in some cases. So, you know, maybe you're performing um, in, in nature, or maybe you're doing your nutcracker in a mansion, or maybe you are, you know, performing in your studio and you want the audience to wander around. Um, Jeffrey's even had our dancers um, that one year that we were homeless for two weeks, you brought them to, you were working at the Owl Bar at yeah, the Belvedere yeah. and, and you had them um, dancing in a bar off hours. <laughs> I did. Well, in different, because I had access to other spaces too, because I, th I think it was a manager at that point. So I had keys, but I asked them if it was okay. Yeah. That I, That's the piece that you do not have recorded. I can't even believe what I did with those kids. They yeah. were throwing and catching each other and doing all kinds of stuff. But that's like the thing about the process, because I told them all these haunted stories about the Belvedere. Because they're true. Like it's haunted. And listeners, the Belvedere is a very like famous hotel in Baltimore City. Hotel, yeah, the first premier hotel in Baltimore City. Um, and like F. Scott Fitzgerald did all kinds of um, writing there. So if you like, there's all these things postmarked. He used to drink gin Rickies, FYI. <laughs> um, they're postmarked from the owl bar. Um, and then there's like these owls and their eyes blink. So during the 30s, during Prohibition, if the eyes were blinking, it meant there was whiskey up in the house. Yeah. So um, anyway, but I took them, I told them all these ghost stories, but they had to create characters that were haunting the, um, it all came, and I took them through all of these things that I still, that I use on like adults all the time. Right. For these characters that they created, then they had to make movement from it. But that whole piece, that's what it was all based like. And then and I was I, like, all right, this is really cool movement. I'm going to throw on Madonna's Ray of Light and I'm just going to choreograph today. So I don't even know that anybody got that, but like all the movement came from these like these creative places for them. Yeah. And so you, you brought that, that stuff back to the studio and created a, a piece yeah. that was done, you know, on the dance floor. 
Um, and to think back, those kids who had you in those weeks, um, a lot of them went on to have they're creative still dancing. Yeah, A lot of them have contacted me or if they see me, they're like, you just changed my perspective on what dance can be. Jesse sent me one of the, Jesse Carey Beaver, who is a very talented dancer, singer, actor. Um, he's done a lot of national tours and whatnot. Mm -hmm. uh, he like, he sent me this letter and it was like the first year I was here. And he's like, you spoiled me because you made me, you made me understand that dance can help storytelling and say something and be really important. And so much of what I'm getting at Carnegie Mellon, which if you don't know, Carnegie Mellon is like the best place. Like it's so hard to get into for musical theater. It's like, so all the movement feels detached and like it's tricks and that it's not helping the storytelling, mm. which in theory for musical theater, when you can't speak anymore, you sing. And when you can't sing anymore, you, you dance. dance. Yeah. And that the dance, like to me, that's why I'm always like, I think it's why I always go back to like, I feel that dance can tell the emotional, the psychological and spiritual work of something without speaking, right? That's what I, that's what I endeavor to do. I don't always, I'm not always successful, but that work can hit somebody viscerally. But mm -hmm. I don't, that does not mean that I do not like me some like entertainment, mm -hmm. right? Like I think, and I like to be entertaining. I love humor. You like to blend the two. Like there's like surprising moments of humor in your, your most serious pieces sometimes. Yeah, I always, that's yeah. because the thing is we all need some laughter in our life. Absolutely. Um, right. So it's, and yeah, we're not all just one. I mean, or like, I don't think I'm just one thing. I, I, I think the sites, so I, I'd like to talk to Robin. I keep saying this to you and I actually really want to do it. Okay. I want, we can do something site specific, but I've been thinking about site adaptive. So I just was talking about the process I did um, with the kids and I brought it back into the studio and put it into kind of a semi proscenium arch kind of feeling. Mm -hmm. But what about like, cause you guys make all of this work. Now I'd have to have permission from the other choreographers from the studio, but I've talked to you about this before. Like, well, how do I take that work and adapt it to a site? So as opposed to being inspired by the site to make something, how do I take something pre-existing mm -hmm. and then how do I reframe it site specifically? So not everything is on the big field. How do I put something in those wood? Like, if you don't know, Robin has this like absolutely amazing, beautiful property. Um, and we like to honor it and make it sparkle and shine and hopefully make people think with our happy hour um, site-specific performances. Mm -hmm. But I mentioned <laughs> this to you and wine helps people talk about dance. Absolutely. Open oh, yeah. and site-specific mm -hmm. modern intensive. It's like bring your cooler because moms and dads will, you know, even not moms and dads, but those are our audience. Um, they will talk more freely once they, you know, feel more comfortable. Yeah. Yeah, I, but I really would love, I want to try to do some of that where it's like, because it's just a different challenge for me, but it also is like, I just feel like the students have spent all of this time learning these things that happen in these like confined, in a confined, wonderful theater space. But how does that shift if, okay, now you're using the space, but all you can do is go down that hill. I mean, mm -hmm. I just think about your house because like I know yeah. the spaces, but I, I just think that it would be fun choreographically. And of course it's not going to look the same. I'm adapting it and I probably will be messing with it, but yeah. just.
Well, I think that this conversation has been wonderful. I could talk to you for days. Um, I miss you. I can't wait to be in your direct, real, in-person, face-to-face presence again. But I would encourage our studio owner listeners to explore some of these concepts this summer because this is the year that you you know, want to be outside and that you want to, why not? I mean, it's been a year of trying new things and, and, and being outside the box. What a better year than to try to- uh, You might get some really good lemonade. <laughs> maybe the thing is, is maybe you're, you're not going to, we're not always, you don't always want to do site specific or do that, but really maybe more people are going to see it. Maybe like I, with the site specific stuff I've done in my life, but specifically through um, the studio, I think just like Casey said in the beginning, or if you didn't say it in this was before, has, have helped the students break into the thing I was talking about, which is like, oh, wow, there's multiple ways that I can approach this, mm-hmm. right? It isn't, it doesn't have to be, I don't have to spend $5,000 on a costume and a lighting thing. Like, you know right. what, I'm going to do this at sunset around mm-hmm. this tree because I don't have to pay anything mm-hmm. and it might be a better set and lighting design anyway. Right. Right. Like, so there are things I mean, unfortunately, remember the one with the balloons? Remember the time we did that? But what, uh, what, it rained, which was amazing. Okay, I'll tell that story. Do you want me? Do you want to tell it? You Go ahead. Go ahead. Actually, my father had never been to see any of the site-specific things, and he came, and he has now passed, and he was like just getting on that Alzheimer's thing. But we had done a run of this in the day, and it was probably bad. I used balloons, but it's like, you know, all these young, intelligent, lovely women in sundresses with balloons. And I had this thing and the balloons tracked through this whole experience. And at the end they let the balloons go. And when we did the run, it was like gorgeous. And the balloons went and it's like, you saw them floating into the sky and it was this incredible image. Cut to the show. It was a lot of rain and a lot of mud. And we were like, damn. And we had to cut part of it cause it was too muddy. Um, but those students, they were like, we want to do it. And it was just, they've got these balloons that are like being pelted with rain. And they danced more full out than I had ever seen them. It was, it, it was like. And, and those dancers will never, ever, 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 ever forget, forget that. that. I remember you saying at some point, because we kept pre- thinking, maybe it won't rain, maybe it won't rain, maybe it'll take a turn, maybe we should go to the studio and restage it, maybe we should do it tomorrow. And then finally, you said this, and it just put us all to rest. You said, instead of trying to fight the rain, we're just going to embrace it, and it's part of the show. And it was like, okay, the rain is part of the show. And the audience was standing on my lawn under umbrellas and the dancers were basically dancing in mud puddles <laughs> in sundresses and bare feet. And it was pouring. And they kept, we kept saying, I wonder when they're going to stop. And um, they, they finished. Didn't they, they? they finished. It was really, it was kind of inspiring. And it isn't only the students that won't forget it. I guarantee the audience too yeah or the year remember the year i I opened it up that i had that improvisation and you entered and a couple of other like parents entered it was a um like a what do you call it a museum of art Mm -hmm. like and and everyone just would make a pose and then when they wanted to they would run to a different spot in the field and make another pose and i don't know if you invited the audience participation or if i I did 
And so I was, you know. But you uh, you said you suggested that maybe, and I said, if anybody wants to join, you can yeah. join. That's These so are the cool. rules. And then next thing, and that's why wine is important because yes. the mommies who had a glass of wine kicked off their flip-flops and they just went out and started doing these like abstract poses in they've never danced before but they were just in the moment it was beautiful or they they would go and then they would interact they did some on their own but also interact and be present physically with their i thought that i'm gonna mm -hmm. cry it was really beautiful they would go and be with their child and oh. be in this beautiful space and it was really just sensing and being present with their child in that moment it was really lovely it was it was oh well what a beautiful point to wrap it up at <laughs> <laughs> um should we finish with a heart happy moment robin sure um... so jeffrey we like to we like to finish our episodes with something that has made our hearts happy in the last week or so okay. so robin why don't you go first so about once a month, we do a family meeting with my husband and my three sons and I, and it's basically a dinner or a lunch. And we, it's just the five of us, no girlfriends, nobody else. And we just talk about their goals, their dreams, and we hold each other accountable. So it's like, all right, Nick, last time we met, you were, you know, hoping and dreaming on this. What have you done to walk in that direction? And it's just honesty and it's, um, you know, just all also just touching base and, and kind of painting a picture of where we see ourselves in the next three to five years. And you know what I realized is young people between the ages of 19 and 24 have a hard time thinking about three years down the road. Yeah, no kidding. Much less five. And Shit, then I'm 33 and I have a hard time with that. Yeah. Oh, you're the same age as Jesus when he passed? <laughs> this is a big year. Anyway, it was really nice to just sit with my boys and talk. Oh, that's so great. I love that. Very cool. All right. How about you, Mr. Jeff? What's your heart happy moment? Um, this has been a lot, a lot of struggle, but like on, um, on, on Saturday, I, uh, I hooked up with my friend Abeo, who I haven't seen in a couple of years. And she just really inspired me. It made, made me think like I've been disconnected from my body and I keep thinking like I have to reconnect. And I've she kind of inspired me to do that. And then I had this great Zoom rehearsal hangout with my friend Vincent. And then a friend of mine called from Denmark and I had this wonderful conversation with him. And then my next door neighbors told us they were getting married. And Aww. so I'm going to a wedding on Saturday. It just was this day. I mean, it was more, it, it was like I'm actually emotionally kind of intense, but then also everything was just really beautiful and great. And I was like, wow. And then I woke up the next day and I did yoga and I'm like, I'm going to diversify and I'm going to get like, get myself together today. And I've been stayed with that. So that was a heart happy day. Yay. Good for you. And of course, doing this with y'all. Right. Yay. Um, let's see. I have two heart happy moments. One was I got my vaccine. I got the Johnson and Johnson vaccine. It absolutely kicked my ass. I was like bedridden for like three days, but I'm so excited because in a, like a week and a half, I'm going to go see my parents and I'm so excited to hug my mom and dad. <laughs> so I haven't seen them in almost a year. Wow. Yeah. Um, and then my other hard happy moment was this past Tuesday, I, um, 
there was space in the studio because our, we don't, we can only fit six people in the studio at a time with social distancing. And um, our ballet teacher was teaching from home. And so this class with five students in it, there was one extra square left in the studio. And I said, Ooh, Hey girls, can I take bar with you? And it's our most advanced ballet class. And they're, they were all in point shoes. And I was like, you know, obviously not in point shoes. Cause that's not happening ever again. Um, but I was like, can I take bar with you? And they were like, yes, please. And so I took bar with them while our teacher was teaching from home over Zoom. And it was just so nice to like dance with my girls. Like these are kids that I've been teaching since they were itty bitties. And now I don't actually directly teach them anymore, but I got to dance with them and it was just so nice. Nice. It really hurt, but it was good. It's really strange to hear you say that because you of course were an itty bitty. So, I know I wasn't itty bitty like, when you taught me. Yeah, but uh, I mean, also, I was probably I was probably younger than you are now. I was I was younger than you are now when I taught you the first time. Wow, you the first time. That's wild. Yeah, crazy. Crazy. Well, Jeff, thank you so much for being here with us. It's been so wonderful to catch up and talk to you, and we should do this again. Yeah, thanks. I'll be funnier next time. <laughs> I feel like you ask me topics that I I kind of really think about. So I was in that space. So I don't know that I was as gregarious as I often am. Uh, it's okay. You were very, you were great. You were perfect. All right. Well, thanks everybody for listening. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. And we will be back next week again with another episode of the DSO Connect podcast. Bye. Bye. Bye.